Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You definitely do learn who your friends are in a time of crisis. And I would say I was let down most by the folks that I had worked with over the past 15 years because they were the ones that not only continually hired me and talked me up for working the biggest jobs in the world, but also my commentator friends that never questioned who I was in as, as an individual but didn't have the balls to step forward. Everybody is doing well. Before I continue, I really want to thank uh, Jeff Holden, who put together the episode that we aired on Friday with a recap of the first three months. And he put all the sound bites together and thought he did a great job. So I just wanted to say thank you to Jeff Holden for putting that podcast together for me. I, I thought it was outstanding. And if you missed it, just go back. You can go to if you don't like that.com or your favorite podcast platform uh, and uh, check it out. Well, uh, of course, uh, over the weekend, we got the news and the passing of Paul Westfall. And I've been pretty vocal about how special of a person Paul was in my life. And just the, the kindest, nicest guy, uh, the Hall of Famer. I was so happy that I was in Springfield, Mass, uh, two summers ago when uh, he and Vlade Divac were inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And uh, a little bit later in the podcast during crowd question, I'll get into a little bit more detail uh, about Paul, but um, 70 years of age, uh, just, um, I, I can't believe he's gone. Such a, a great man. And uh, my sympathies and prayers uh, to Cindy, his wife uh, and the family, uh, Paul Westfall gone uh, way, way too soon uh, at the age of 70. And as I record this, okay, uh, the, Kings are getting ready to take on the Golden State Warriors. And you got Marvin Bagley's father. And I've done a rant on the 31st. I did a rant again that aired yesterday. I still cannot believe what is going on. And then De'Aaron Fox's dad comes out on social media on Sunday night and says, trade him. And then yesterday afternoon, De'Aaron Fox tweets out in capital letters, Jesus Christ. What a mess. What an absolute mess that Marvin Bagley's father uh, has started here. I don't care how you look at this. This is not a good situation 
for the Sacramento Kings. And as, as I said on my rants, there's no defending Marvin's father here. He is way out of line, immature. I, I don't know what you call it. I don't know if I should feel bad for Marvin or if I should ridicule Marvin or, you know, come down hard on Marvin for not controlling his house. I have a lot of mixed feelings on this. I mean, it is his father, and I don't know really what the true dynamic is, you know, behind closed doors. What I do know is this is the worst thing and the last thing that Marvin Bagley needs right now. He's trying to find himself. He's trying to be more consistent. Uh, He's trying to, you know, make his mark on the Kings and the NBA. And he has to deal with his dad acting like an ass and embarrassing himself, the family, the Kings and the NBA on social media. I mean, what what are you thinking about? I've been talking about this on my rants. How disturbing is this? Could you imagine having the talent to be a great basketball player, work hard, make it into the NBA, be the number two pick in the draft, finally get on the court healthy after two years of being on and off the court, mostly off because of injuries, and you're dealing with this? You're dealing with your father embarrassing you? Can you imagine the talk going on in the locker room? You think the rest of the teammates are not, you know, ridiculing him? Or if they're not going, geez, what are we in high school here? This is awful. It really is terrible. I I don't know where you go from here as the Kings get ready to take on the Golden State Warriors as I'm talking. But this is bad, boy. It's not a good situation for anybody Uh, in the organization. Hey, today's podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. For all of your home loan needs, go to roysumbrella.com. You know, Roy also does estate planning. I had someone send me a nice email saying that they're using Roy for their estate planning, and I thank you very much. Uh, Just go to roysumbrella.com and see all of the things that he can do for you. You know, you go back to home loans right now. The rates are so, so low. Don't wait. There's going to be a backup coming up because there are so many people buying homes or doing a refi. Get in now and take take advantage, really, of these incredibly low rates. Just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest today is somebody that I have never met, but I have a feeling that our names are going to be linked together for many, many years to come as our lives were completely turned upside down over complete, utter nonsense. My guest, four years ago almost to the day, was in the broadcast booth doing the Australian Open. And then without him even having any idea at all, his life was literally turned upside down and it was living hell. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to my podcast, Doug Adler. Doug, how are you, sir? Well, I'm above the ground, Grant, and it's better to be looking down at the grass than looking up at the grass. How's that? Boy, I I love that. (laughs) Take us back four years ago and, and what it was that put your life into an absolute living hell? Well, you know, 2017 seems like quite a long time ago now. And fortunately, I've been able to move on. But when I reflect back, think about what happened, a few things come to my mind. Uh, First of all, you know, I was a professional broadcaster since 2003. So I'd been in the booth 
for basically 15 years, traveling all over, doing Wimbledon nine consecutive times, the French Open 10 consecutive times, the Australian Open and the U.S. Open, that much if not more. And when I was virtually called out by Twitter and by social media for being a racist, for using an absolute proper term that had been used forever. I didn't make it up. And it was taken out of context by people with rage, anger, bitterness, wanting attention, and wanting to just uh, call someone out for being something that they weren't. Uh, It was shocking to me, Grant, because I always felt that I always acted in a professional manner, spoke in a professional manner, um, always conducted myself or tried to conduct myself fairly to everyone. And the fact that I could be taken down by social media and then my employer allowing it to happen was so shocking that, you know, I had a heart attack. And to me, the situation hasn't really gotten better for, for folks all around the country and all over the world. I was almost at the precipice of what was going on. And to think that people that hide behind a computer in a dungeon or that have no skin in the game have the ability to take down those of us that are professional and know what we're talking about and do things where context matters is just unbelievable. Who would want to put themselves in a position of being a broadcaster or a commentator these days when you're so susceptible to people that are amateurs taking you down? ESPN fired you for describing Serena Williams and gorilla tennis. Venus, uh, Venus Williams. Or Venus Williams. Venus. I, I'm sorry. I beg your pardon. That's very important here. Venus Williams. No, it's hugely important because if, if you're just looking at it purely from a physical standpoint, Venus Williams doesn't resemble a primate whatsoever. What was interesting, I remember watching the Nike commercial in front of the Plaza Hotel, uh, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, and they called it gorilla tennis. That's a very familiar term in tennis. But you not only lost your career over it, you were called a racist. And trust me, I know what that feels like. There is nothing worse that I could be called than racist. I'm sure you felt the same way. I mean, there's only one thing in my mind worse than being a racist, and that would be being called a pedophile. I mean, I've done a lot of soul searching. And to me, look, at being called a racist is uh, is is absolutely atrocious and horrible if, if it, if it's even close to being true. But if you're a pedophile, that probably is number one on the list and of being called or compared to a racist is second to none. And it's even that much worse when there's no validity or factual basis behind it. When it's just totally created bogusly, and ends up destroying 
not just a career and a life, but your voice. And everything that I fought for while I was recovering physically and emotionally was to get my voice back. Without your voice, you got nothing. And the amazing thing is, with social media these days, Grant, they have more of a voice than the people that are being paid that are professional. Doug, the most difficult thing for me over the last seven months, the number of people that have reached out to me privately, people I know, people I don't know, but nobody would come out and speak to me publicly. I don't know if they were too afraid. I don't know what that would prevent someone from coming out and and doing what was right. Did anybody speak up for you? Did anybody come out and defend you? Excellent question. Out of everybody I know and knew that worked alongside me, with the exception of maybe one or two folks, there was radio silence. But someone very important did come out for me that I didn't know. And it's the former mayor of New York, Mayor David Dinkins. And Mayor Dinkins loved tennis. Unfortunately, he just passed away. He was fighting cancer for the last several years of his life. And he was an advocate of tennis, a lover of tennis. And even though we never met personally, um, I was on the Today Show. And they went to him. And he said that the term that I used shouldn't have been or have been or was offensive to anyone because everybody knew exactly what I was talking. So it's funny that someone I didn't know with a lot of respect and power came forth for me and those that uh, knew me extremely well were so scared about protecting their own jobs and were so threatened by the powers that be, the corporations and such that employ us, that they ran away and hid, much like those people on social media that threw all the ammunition at me, that threw all the gunpowder at me, but you could never really find those people in life. They were always hiding behind their computer, just like the guy who started the whole thing by the name of Ben Rothenberg. He, you know, this guy. From the, New York, from the New York Times, right? New York Times. He knew nothing about tennis, never played tennis, wasn't an athlete. Funny enough, one of his podcast partners covered and wrote about guerrilla tactics and guerrilla tennis a couple of years prior, and she was nowhere to be found. And uh, he dodged everything, thrown his way to confront me directly. And the New York Times never came forth after we tried to approach them on many, many occasions. They stood down, stood quiet funny they called themselves uh, the truth the periodical the the paper of truth uh, what a crock that is you prevailed in a lawsuit you were back for the first time since 2017 recently broadcasting the french open to this day as we talk here in the first week of january 2021 the new york times has not put out a retraction they have not put anything out in support of you in winning the lawsuit and getting back into the booth. Is that correct? That is correct. They have totally ignored it. They ignored it while it was going on. They ignored it while they were being pursued to answer with regards to Ben Rothenberg and the situation. They ignored it, and they have continued to ignore it to this day without the help of 
the, the New York Post and Phil Mushnick without Larry Elder, a radio talk show host out in Los Angeles, without people working like the LA Times and uh, even some of those folks at Fox, Fox News who came forward, the Rush Limbaugh's and such who I'd never met. My story would have just died, but there were enough people with a conscience that felt so badly about what happened that they essentially resurrected me. And it's just a shame, Grant, that my situation was always about, you know, a right word compared to a wrong word, but it became about politics and it became about left against right and it became about race when it should have been always just about the proper use and context of, the, of a word that was and had always been used in that, in that way as a compliment to Venus Williams and her style of play. This interview is not about me. It's about you. And that's why I wanted to speak to you. But I got to tell you, listening to you talk is like talking to myself. <laughs> and, no, really, these, these are the conversations that I have within myself and have had for seven months because thankfully there are people in the media, you mentioned some of them, that are not afraid and are willing to speak up for what's right. And so I want to ask you about anger. I want to ask you about bitterness. You said you suffered a heart attack after this. Do you still have anger in your body over this? Are you still bitter? Does that ever leave your body? Not really. I mean, you learn how to deal with it. I couldn't watch tennis for a long, long time after this happened to me. I couldn't listen to broadcast. I couldn't put on the sports networks that were so much a part of my life. Now that I have my life back, there are certain things that just light the fuse under me. And... I can't tell you specifically what they are, but they still come up pretty regularly. I've just learned how to handle them a bit better, but there still is anger, and I don't think it's hurting me in a negative way because, you know, people talk about anger as being a very negative thing, but there's also something called a reality. And when I hear or see certain people that didn't stand by me, yes, it does bother me. And when I see things that happen to you, like with the comment you made in response to Black Lives Matter, yes, most people that I deal with respect and know about Black Lives Matter. But we also feel and state regularly that Jewish lives matter, Hispanic lives matter, Asian lives matter, Greek lives matter. So when someone says all lives matter, that's not being disrespectful to the other side. That's not being disrespectful to the folks at Black Lives Matter or African-American families. That's just saying that everyone is important. 
and everyone has a voice. And yes, today and since what happened to me has been going on, African-Americans are very, very, very outspoken, much more so Jewish people who've gone through hell and back, Asian people, Hispanic people, but the ones that are getting the attention now are African-Americans. Not that they don't deserve it, but to punish someone for saying something as easily and as calmly and as prophetically as what you said, take something out of context like that, is pathetic. You hit it on the head, context. I said all lives matter, every single one, context. And what I found, and I want to ask you for your experience, Nobody seemed to want to hear what I had to say after that. Nobody cared. It's like we're shutting the book, cancel culture. Grant Napier doesn't exist anymore, okay? He, we, he doesn't have a voice, okay? We canceled him. He's done. He's gone. Did, was, that, was it like that for you, Doug? Well, everyone thought it was going to be that way for me. When Ben Rothenberg and Twitter made their assault, and claimed to know everything about me and how bad a person I was and how racially motivated I was. And they tried to destroy my life. And then that got supported by my employer, who then asked me immediately. Everyone thought that I was dust in the wind. History. But no one knew, really, who I was, the perseverance that I had instilled in me, as a young kid growing up on the public park courts of Griffith Park in Eagle Rock, California. No one knew the background of being a Jewish kid with, with two parents that were educators. No one knew about all of the people in my life of all different ethnicities and what they meant to me. And if I would have done nothing, Grant, and just done what my employer and those that knew me wanted me to do, like be quiet and it'll go away, I would have been absolutely miserable and gone forever. And I did something unthinkable. Why would someone like me, who was not a John McEnroe or a Martina Navratilova, take on the big boys, take on the biggest corporations in the world because they took everything away from me. I had nothing to lose. And they thought, well, if I keep my mouth shut, at least I have a chance of coming back and working again. Wrong. I needed for myself to show that what happened to me wasn't only unjust, but couldn't have been further from the truth. And that all served as motivation for me to fight, fight through a heart attack, fight through open heart surgery, fight through being fired, fight through being called names that should never have been attributed to me. It was just another five set tennis match that I wasn't going to give into. And it didn't matter about any of those other things about work or money. It mattered about who I was 
my voice. And by doing that, people started to feel my pain and want to be a part of helping resurrect my life and my voice. Have so you, it could have been yeah. absolutely over, but I wouldn't allow it to be. You were back in the booth, as I said, a couple of months ago for the French Open. You reached the settlement with the company that fired you. Is that vindication in your mind? Have you been vindicated? The settlement doesn't give you vindication. I'll tell you what gave me vindication. When I got a one-year employment contract from that employer that fired me, when they not only tried to give me money to shut me up, but when they gave me an employment contract, and that wasn't just through the subsidiary, but it was through the parent company. That, to me, was vindication because those companies never apologize. They'll never say they're sorry. They'll never say they did the wrong thing. They will use money to shut people up. Well, when I got that employment contract, that was vindication because that said, we're wrong. We're going to let you back on the air. Now, maybe they didn't let me back on the air in L.A., or maybe they didn't let me back on the air for the Australian Open. Maybe they put me in Siberia where no one got to hear me, but they let me back on the air. And the fact they didn't give me the gigs that I should have gotten or was promised I would get an opportunity to get only makes them look bad, not me. So my answer to you is I feel I got vindication maybe not 100% vindication because they tried to continually blackball me and keep me out of the sphere of broadcasting, out of the realm of having a voice, but it opened it up enough to when Tennis Channel stepped in and allowed me back on the air for the French Open, that was complete vindication. What was that first match like for you? Tennis Channel, French Open, in the booth for the first time and nearly four years. What was going through your mind as you were preparing for that first time again? Uh, great question. Really fearful of that, about what was going to come out of my mouth or not come out of my mouth. Not scared to death, but extremely cautious, timid. But the thing that made it worthwhile was the reception I got at the Tennis Channel. All the folks there that I'd either known from my past or that were new, whether it was the producers, the directors, the associate producers, whether it was my co-commentators, male or female, didn't matter. It was a warm embrace. They didn't ignore what happened to me. They didn't ignore that I had the heart attack. They didn't ignore that Ben Rothenberg was a clown. They didn't ignore that what happened to me should have never happened. But they brought it up in a, in a way that made me feel welcome. They brought it up in a way that engaged me to come back and be good. And I don't think I've ever been better in the broadcast booth after a couple hours of day one, and I did 11 straight days. Wow. What's the one thing above anything else that got you through this? In other words, 
This is really difficult to go do by yourself. And and I and, and I'm again, I hate to keep on bringing it back to me, but I know what you went through and I'm relating to what you're you're going through and I'm trying to you know, real I'm trying to think about what I'm going through on a daily basis and and look at what you went through and then say, "Okay, what's getting me through this? What 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 got you through the darkest of days? You you lose your job, you're called a racist, you have a heart attack." What's the one thing that you relied on? What got you through the worst times of your life? So it wasn't just one thing. It was a combination of a few things. The first thing I would say is that I know who I am and what I was being called and what was being said I knew wasn't me. So that was the first thing. I never lost faith. And I'm not a religious person, but I never lost faith or or the comfort of who I am. I'm a good person. And I got a lot of friends that are African American. A lot. A ton. My whole life. And I got a lot of friends that are Hispanic. And I got a lot of friends that are Asian. So to me, I knew who I was. And then when there were down times and and times of not knowing what to do and dealing with the losses and dealing with all the pressure being put on me to try to discount that I had any chance of winning or being right, when those times happened, I had a lot of friends, Grant, that were there for me, whether it was my wife, my mother, or friends that I'd had since playing junior tennis, playing college tennis, even friends that I didn't know were that friendly to me, that I didn't know they were there for me. People came out of nowhere to support me. And getting that type of of reinforcement and that type of feedback just made me feel better and better about myself. So there was never a doubt in myself with who I was and what I was trying to accomplish. Now, when you go into the court system, the legal system, you have no idea what they're going to decide because reality is completely different than what happens in a courtroom. The lawyers, the cost of those lawyers, the resume of those lawyers, their relationships with the judge, who the heck knows. But once I was able to prevail in the courtroom and get rid of summary judgments and and the corporation trying to throw out the whole thing and the judge saying, no way, I was on my way back. I was on my way back. Martin Luther King once said, in the end... We will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Do you have any friends that let you down? Couple. Yeah. Not too many. But you definitely do learn who your friends are in a time of crisis. And I would say I was let down most by the folks that I had worked with over the past 
15 years because they were the ones that not only continually hired me and talked me up for working the biggest jobs in the world, but also my commentator friends that never questioned who I was as an individual, but didn't have the balls to step forward other than, like I said, like one or two guys actually said something to the press. But the actual big name guys, the ones that everybody knows, men or women, they, they just were silent. And all I learned from that, Grant, I don't ever have to speak to them ever again. Good for you. And the silence of even the Williams sisters. Everyone talks about seeing something go wrong and not being silent and doing something or saying something about it. That applies to everyone. Amen. Spot on. Yeah, absolutely hit a home run with that. You know what? Um, I'm so happy you just said that. I'm so happy you just said that. Doug, you are such a, a great person to talk to. Uh, I think about you, I think of perseverance. I also think of you as an inspiration for people like myself and others that have been so affected from cancel culture. I sincerely appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing your story, and wish you nothing but the best here in the new year and moving forward. Thank you so much. It was just an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Grant. And I pray and I wish you equally the best and success and health and happiness in this coming year. I greatly appreciate that. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And you know what? You talk about the Manscaped engineering team. They're amazing. They've perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And folks, when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The batter will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. I'm not kidding you. The battery is amazing. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. And you know, one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. Folks, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S. Just go to manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. That's N-A-P-E-S, manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Time now for crowd question where you can ask me a question all you need to do is sign up you go to crowdquestion.com it takes a minute and maybe i will answer your question right here on the podcast a lot of good questions coming up today always enjoy taking the time to uh, get back to everyone that takes the time to ask me a question all right grant you would think that some records will never be broken but the Clippers' 50-point halftime deficit removed the Kings off the record books. I can't imagine the Kings' 40-4 first quarter deficit against the Lakers will never be broken. Also, four of those points, uh, Ferrari, were all free throws. They didn't make a basket, and Jerry Reynolds uh, became the coach in the next game. They fired Phil Johnson after that game. 
All right. And then you said, what sports records do you think will never be broken? I think Nolan Ryan's no hitters will never be broken. I agree because the way the game is played, you know, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak will never be broken. I think Oral Hershiser, the scoreless streak will never be broken. Those are some. I'll tell you what else I don't think will ever be broken. And, you know, people can talk about Derrick Henry, who's a great running back. Great. All right. He's fabulous. You know, 2,000 yards in 16 games. OJ did it in 14 games. I don't think you'll ever see a running back run for over 2,000 yards in 14 games. Excellent question. Brandon, uh, is the Warriors dynasty done for good? Well, I don't know about for good. I mean, they could have a dynasty at some point in the future, but the team that you used to watch in the NBA Finals every year, yes, that team is no longer uh, getting it done. That's not going to happen. You're exactly right. Hey, Grant, uh, Firefighters wants to know, what do you think the future is with Garoppolo and the Niners? He's got to stay healthy. Uh, When he's healthy, I think he's a good quarterback. I've heard Matt Stafford might be a possibility, but uh, are the Niners going to stick with Jimmy G? Again, when he is healthy, I think he's a very good quarterback. But that has been a problem. He's missed too many games. Too many games. This is from Isaac. Four games in, or you're liking what you're seeing from Halliburton, any other rookies in the NBA. I don't put, I, I don't really look at a first week of the season and make too many observations on rookies. I will say this about Halliburton. He looks like he belongs, okay? He looks like he belongs. Now, it's unfortunate, you know, that he hurt his wrist and he's going to be out for a little while, but too early. I mean, other than the fact that he looks like he belongs, I, I need to see a, a much much larger uh, sample size. Mickey uh, asked, would you rather have Derrick Henry or Alvin Kamara? Kamara's a great back, but I'll give me Henry, man. I just love the way he runs. I love everything that he does. I mean, I don't think you go wrong with either uh, Kamara or Henry, but I'm, I'm probably going to take Henry. I'm taking him. All right. Who do I think are the front runners for the Stanley Cup this year? That's from Ryan. It is so wide open right now in this condensed season. I, it's wide open. It, I, I, front runners, you know, do me a favor. Send me another question around March 1st, all right? And I'll have a much better idea. Too difficult right now. All right, Sam wants to know, who's your athlete and coach of the year in all sports for 2020? What a fabulous question that is, Sam. How about that? Athlete and coach of the year in all sports for 2020. Well, first of all, the team would have to win a championship, correct? So I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes. And I know this is going to be very boring for you. I'm going to go Andy Reid because he finally won a Super Bowl. Finally won that Super Bowl. So Mahomes and Andy Reid. I'd love to hear from you, though. What do you think? Uh, Trav wants to know, his question is, rest in peace to Paul Westfall. Any stories, words you'd like to share about him? I touched upon this a little bit earlier. Just the nicest man. And when I lost my jobs in June, he called me. And then he called me again on July, July 18th to check in and said, I'm praying for you and worried about you, and I think about you every day. And then it was, I believe, August 9th that I saw the tweet by Mike Lupica, 
that he had brain cancer. And I called Paul at about 1130 in the morning on Monday. And he answered his phone. And it was a sad uh, three-minute conversation. And I said to Paul, I said, Paul, I want to let you know, I'm praying for you. And I'm on social media. And there are so many people that are praying for you and love you. And you know what he did? He stopped me. And he goes, Grant, I'm praying for you. And I was thinking about, wow, here's a man that pretty much just received a death sentence. And he's, he's worried about me instead of worried about himself. I'm going to share this other story. And I have never, I've never shared this because I didn't want to do it with Paul going through brain cancer and his diagnosis. And I'm going to share it now. And I don't think Paul would mind. And the reason why I don't think Paul would mind is because Paul is just, he was just a special human being. We were in China. The Kings were playing the Brooklyn Nets in 2014. And Paul was the assistant head coach. Lionel Hollins was the head coach. And Lionel Hollins got really sick over in China. And so Paul was the head coach for the games in Shanghai the first time, and then three nights later in Beijing. And the Kings are playing in Shanghai, and I'm doing the game with Gary Gerald, so I've got a headset on. And in that game, DeMarcus Cousins was ejected for arguing and yelling at the referees. But I also saw some other things that were going on but I couldn't quite hear what they were as they were being directed towards Paul Westfall. The next night, we were in Beijing, and we had a big red carpet event that the NBA put on. And Paul comes up to me and my wife, and he said, you know what happened last night, right? And I said, well, I think I know what happened. I've heard some stories, but I'll let you tell me. He said, I have never been so disrespected in my entire life. I'm coaching the team, and DeMarcus is running down the floor and turns to me and says, sit the F down and shut the F up. Then later in the game, during free throws, DeMarcus was not on the free throw line. He was standing on the lane. And he turns around and he says to the players on the Brooklyn bench, don't effing listen to him. He has no idea what he's doing. Now, you have to remember that DeMarcus was a rookie when Paul Westfall was the head coach. And it did not go well. But I'll never forget Paul coming up to me at the banquet and saying to me that he's never been so disrespected in his life. That said. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Uh, Chris, hey, Grant, who's the craziest athlete you've interacted with? I'm thinking maybe Artest or Boogie. You know, I love Ron Artest. I have a, I, I really enjoyed being around Ron. Ron's a happy-go-lucky guy. He really is. Um, I, I admire him for supporting mental health and donating his ring that he won with the Lakers for mental health. 
And I have a lot of respect for Ron. I don't really call Ron crazy. I know he's, I know we like to use the word crazy, but I'd have to think about that uh, for a long time. But I, I really liked Ron. I, I was a big fan of Ron. I really, really was. And to this day, I'm a big fan of Ron. Hey, if you want to ask me a question, just go to crowdquestion.com. That's crowdquestion.com. And maybe I'll answer it right here on the podcast. Hey, today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing for all of your plumbing needs and repairs. And remember, they have expert technicians on hand 24-7 in case you have an emergency in the middle of the night. Don't worry, all right? Just go online, newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. And again, folks, for all of your plumbing needs and your plumbing repairs, Make sure you check out my good friends at newworksplumbing.com. Again, that's N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. All right, today's rant, and I am not saying this just because I'm a fan of the New York Giants. The Giants don't deserve to be in the freaking playoffs anyway, all right? I mean, they just saved me the problem and the the, the three hours that I was going to waste this Saturday night watching them, all right, watching them lose to Tampa Bay. So I'm not doing this rant because I'm a Giants fan. I'm doing this rant because what happened on Sunday night in Philadelphia was an embarrassment for the Philadelphia Eagles and an embarrassment for the National Football League. How Doug Peterson can pull Jalen Hurts out of the game in the fourth quarter with the score 17-14 is an outrage. And you know what? Good for the Hall of Famer and former Philadelphia Eagle, Seth Joyner, who said after the game on NBC Sports Philadelphia, quote, I have never been more ashamed to be associated with the Philadelphia Eagles than I am tonight. You know what? Major props to the Hall of Famer, Seth Joyner. Major props to Chris Collinsworth on NBC for saying that there's no way he could have done that as well. What an absolutely gutless, awful decision by Doug Peterson. You know, if it's a blowout, sure, go put Sudfeld in the game or whatever the hell his name is. But you don't take your quarterback off the field in the fourth quarter in a game of that magnitude, all right, when you have a chance to beat your division rival and prevent them from going to the playoffs. That is an absolute disgrace by Doug Peterson. And you know what? I am so happy that he's getting killed from coast to coast from people that are not only fans like myself, but people in broadcasting and former players like Seth Joyner and former players and broadcasters like Chris Collinsworth. That's an outrage. It's an absolute embarrassment. Shame on Doug Peterson. All right. And and I don't know how you walk into the locker room after the game and face your players. I really don't. You're building up all week. No hats, no hats, no hats. Meaning that we don't want to see Washington walking around with hats that say NFC East division champions. And then with the game right there for your taking 17, 14 in the fourth quarter, you take your starting quarterback off the field because you want to get some reps for a guy that you think needs reps. Well, that, that's awful. That's about as bad as it gets. And again, I'm not saying this. I'm not crying sour grapes for the Giants. They don't deserve to be in the playoffs anyway with six wins. All right? They're not a playoff team. This has nothing to do with me being a Giants fan. This has me just outraged and how awful that decision was on Sunday night by Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. Big boo for Philly. And you know what? Screw Philadelphia anyway. I hate Philadelphia. Hate the Eagles. Hate the Flyers. Go away, Philadelphia. All right, maybe I am a little perturbed because I'm a Giants fan. Well, no, not really. You get my point. All right, that is my rant for today. Hey, as always, appreciate you listening to the podcast. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. 
if you don't like that with Grant Napier, as I put video rants up on that daily. So check it out again on YouTube. Do me a favor, subscribe, leave a comment. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. 